fed up being told us there's only British or Irish. Fed up with Union Jacks and tricolours. Fed up listening to the same old shit from the same old talking heads. Well, welcome to the show where Ulster is Ulster. Welcome to the show where we fly the red hand with pride. This is Alternative Ulster. Hello everyone, thanks very much for joining us again. It's Jamie Mackerel here. I'm joined by Dan McLaughlin over in Manchester. How's it going, Dan? It's going very well, mate. Good to chat to you again. Really, I mean, it's always interesting, but this particular piece that you've, you're going to be talking about is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, well, this piece that I'm going to talk about today is, uh, we're getting up to date now. So I have installed a new home office I have a new website that you can read my work on. It's subversiontherapy.com. And the latest piece that I'm going to uh, read read to you is something that I wrote um, very recently about uh, a Lucid, po- Lucid Talk poll. Um, and the title, about, title of it is Lucid Talk Poll Hints at Future of Unionism in Ulster. It's Sunday morning. I'm reading Saturday's Belfast Telegraph and I'm preparing an article that I was meant to do the night before about the state of unionism. But I'm a writer, and I instinctively rebel against any deadline imposed upon me. Anyway, Sundays are better for this. Wired from this morning's coffee and tired from last night's alcohol. But I digress. Back to more serious topics. The future of Ulster, our glorious nation. The Belfast Telegraph yesterday ran a series of opinion pieces following a poll it had commissioned by NI polling agency Lucid Talk. Lucid Talk is a very good polling agency, led by pollster Bill White. I don't think I've seen seen them ever call an election wrong, which is why, when they do a poll, I pay attention. The future of unionism is at the forefront. New leaders of the two biggest unionist parties in Northern Ireland have been elected by their parties in the last fortnight. There's been much analysis and attention as a result. Throw into the mix media appearances from the Loyalist Communities Council, an organisation representing the UDA, UVF and Red Hand Commandos, and you can sense a change in the air from Protestants. When I say Protestants or Unionists, that's not necessarily what I mean. They're old labels that serve a purpose in modern times. Saying I'm not really a Protestant or I'm not really a Unionist is probably the most Protestant or Unionist thing you could say. You might not identify as one of those groups, but if you're from that background, you'll never be Irish like someone from a family that supports the Shinners or the Stoopses. Same as you'll never be British in the same way the English are, but that's okay. Who'd want to be from London or Dublin anyway? I'm from Ulster, and Protestants, Unionists and Loyalists believe in Ulster as a distinctive entity. For some reason, they also have a twisted sense of loyalty to the British government. Why? I don't know. It's like an abusive relationship. The British government keeps on betraying the prods, but the prods keep going back. Regardless, the prods have a sense of Ulster as having its own identity within Britain, whereas Republicans believe in Ireland as Ireland to be subsumed by the European Union. Fuck that. Stop talking shit and get to the polls, you say. Okay, okay, fucking hell. The Lucid Talk polls tracked where the parties are now with voters. The DUP are down by three percentage points. The UUP are up by two percentage points and the TUV are up by one percentage point. Analysis has the DUP's fallen support going mostly to the TUV, with 29% of those who, who voted DUP in the last election saying they'll vote for Jim Allister's party next time round. 10% said they'd go to a UUP and 4% to the Alliance Party. I like Jim Allister. I saw him operate on the Dell Committee and he knew his shit. He was also one of the few politicians to speak out against the lockdowns. DUP supporters clearly like him too, which is why DUP members presumably voted to move the party towards the more hardline Edwin Putz over the more moderate and statesmanlike Geoffrey Donaldson. This surprised commentators. You see, the chattering classes come on the radio and talk shit about the Protestant people without actually understanding the Protestant people. There's something about this place that nurtures a proud, stubborn, no-surrender attitude. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's there. Does it come from the, the water and the rivers that cascade off Ulster's mountains? 
Does it come from the green grass, fire the meat we cook and eat? Does it come from the air we breathe as it blows through the hawthorn trees? I don't know, but the attitude's there. Is it quantifiable? No, but matters of the spirit rarely are. For a long time, the Ulster identity has been under attack. It's not been easily seen, and it's been rationalised away by media types. It's a slow, subtle burn, and it's been more obvious in recent years with the demonisation of white men generally as having white male privilege. Try going to estates in East Belfast or somewhere like the West Winds in Newton Ards and see what white male privilege looks like. You'll be told to fuck up and fuck off. Working class Protestant men have watched the gap between rich and poor get wider and wider. They've watched Republicans be rewarded for their violence during the Troubles, being given high-ranking positions in government and special treatment by the state. They've seen their former allies in Westminster turn against them and oppose at borders along the Irish Sea. They sense which way the wind's blowing. It's what was happening to Catholics before the Troubles kicked off, except it's happening now to the other side. This is why no one should be surprised when representatives of the Loyalist Communities Council say things like, the minute you rule violence out completely, you're admitting that you're not willing to back up anything you believe in with anything really important. I listened to Nolan on Friday past. I had to laugh at how out of touch Nolan and some of the commentators were. He did a 90-minute hit piece on the LCC and was rightly asked why he didn't do the same when Alliance reps and shinners were on the year before, saying there'd be violence if there was a hard border in Ireland after Brexit. Remember when the Shinners had the broadcasting ban in the 80s and the 90s? Media treatment today to Protestants is similar to that, except sneakier. When you factor all these in, why is anyone surprised the language of violence is being used? Things have flipped. This is perhaps why Putsi was chosen as DUP leader, despite Geoffrey Donaldson being more popular among DUP supporters by 3 to 1. Puts comes from the old Paisley wing of the DUP. Same as why Jim Allister is so popular. The prods want someone who will stand up for them and say enough is enough before it's too late. So that was that one. I mean, absolutely fascinating, Jamie. Um, the the first thing is, there was a line you said at the very start about deadlines, you know, be, being against them. It's, it's almost very Douglas Adams now, isn't it? You know, I, I like deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they fly by. Well, um, as a journalist yourself, Don, I'm sure it's something you relate to as well. <laughs> it absolutely is, mate. It absolutely is. Um, there was a lot in that piece about sort of names and labels and you described the old labels but mm. what should be the new labels then uh, it's difficult to say um i suppose it's because unionism or that's people from that sort of background have uh dispersed over time you know and th this is a very typical thing from people from a protestant background to do i think that you know, whenever you look at like the mentalities of it, so like the Catholic Church is one church and, um, you know, everyone sort of gets, I mean, not so much anymore, you know, it's, but it's more of a collectivist thing, whereas there's something within Protestantism that is, it's like an independent minded thing, but also quite a tolerant thing. And over time, how, how that sort of manifests itself is that It'll, it means that there will be more factions. You know, you had like the Ulster Unionist Party in the past would have described itself as being a broad church where people from all sorts of unionist backgrounds would come together and vote unionist, vote for the Ulster Unionist, Ulster Unionist Party or the official unionists as they were, were at one stage. Um, and then, you know, you had splits within unionism and that all broke down and... Um, you know, but but you see again, this is something that happens throughout history. You know, I was chatting to a friend of mine a few weeks ago, and because we were talking about Northern Ireland, the centenary in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland's a hundred years old this year. Um, celebrated its hundredth birthday just this month, uh, which pretty much went without anyone even recognizing it. It you know sort of goes to show how pop popular it is for people to say they're from Northern Ireland, but. Um, yeah, we were talking about, you know, you look at some of the pictures back then and you see thousands of people lying in the streets. 
and he was saying, well, why, why don't people not come out like that anymore? And I think that people from Protestant or Unionist background, I don't think it'd be quite the same now, but what historically tends to happen is, is even though we tend to fight amongst each other for, you know, whatever reason, whenever it comes to matters of survival, generally speaking, you know, Protestants will come together and will look and say, well, my enemy's enemy is my friend. And then, you know, once the enemy's defeated, get back to fighting each other again. It's been interesting um, with the, you know, you talk about the, the, the new leadership in certain, uh, certain parties, in particular the DUP, and you're saying that, you know, Boots comes from um, from the Paisley wing of the DUP, and you, you, you described Alistair as, as, as quite similar to that. Mm. But in, in terms of moving forward, isn't that one step forward, two steps back by being part of this wing of the party that's of the old? Shouldn't there be a new approach with new, fresh leadership? Well, this is where it's this is where there's going to be a big challenge for Edwin Putz. So, like Jim Allister, um, his party, the TUV, are were an anti-agreement party. You know, they were against the Good Friday Agreement. This is part. Well, whenever the DUP, the DUP were the original anti-agreement party, and then whenever they got in the government with the Shinners. Jim Allister, he split off and made the TUV, which is the traditional unionist voice, that's what you call them. So he split off at that point. Um, and th this is partly where there's a disconnect between DUP slash TUV voters and the parties themselves, is that the people that vote for them vote for them because they don't like Sinn Féin and they don't want to see basically the political wing of the IRA being the biggest party in Northern Ireland. And, you know, they sort of see that as being like the, the, the next step to United Ireland and stuff. And, you know, it might be whatever, but it's more, it's it's like, a, it's an anti-Shinner thing. So the disconnect really comes from the lack of uh, modern day policies, you know? So whatever party, this is the challenge, is that I'm sure, you, you know, have, what's the sort of coverage like Edwin puts in England? You know, what what have you heard yourself over there, Don? I've heard that he, it, like I said, it's a step backwards, he's traditional slash a little bit crazy, um, just and, very old-fashioned, okay. you know. So being less diplomatic about that, what does a little bit crazy mean? Because we're all a wee bit crazy. So, like, what do you mean by that? The same as a creationist homophobe, basically. Yes. They see his views being not tolerant whatsoever. And this is the hurdle that he... This is what I mean by he's got challenges ahead of him. Because, you know, the thing is, right, is that generally speaking, most Protestant people, or people, again, people from Protestant background, are tolerant, you know? Like, it's just like, yeah, whatever, do your own thing. Just don't try and force, force your shit on anyone else. You know, if you want to do your own thing, no bother. This is why this whole, there's a lot of shit going on at the moment over here. Um, you know, this is why a lot of, a lot of you know, people from, that, from my sort of background have turned against, like, liberalism, you know, because it's like, okay, right, we've heard it, we agree with it, but just shut the fuck up about it, you know? Um, so people are it's very tolerant here. I, yeah. I, I don't doubt it. When you look at the polls, when you look at the data, Northern Ireland as a whole is increasingly a tolerant nation. Yeah. But they're not. But there seems to be disconnects with those parties who seem to be more extreme and less tolerant. And even exactly. though the country itself is more tolerant, the parties exactly. are not representative of that tolerance. And that's the thing is that. And, you know, there is a, a big religious aspect to this. You know, um, I'm pretty sure that Edwin Putz is Free Presbyterian. I need to check that out 100%. But, you know, the Free Presbyterian Church is, was Paisley's church. You know, he set it up because, you know, the, the Presbyterians weren't in line with his way of thinking. So he went and made his own church. So, uh, uh, you know, and they are very um, almost like Old Testament you know, like that's the sort of level that they're at in terms of their Christianity. Um, but, 
But yeah, so um, this is where the disconnect comes in. Now, if you had a party here who had those modern day values of, you know, that sort of tolerance in terms of modern issues, but was also going to take it to the shinners, then a party like that might be successful. But there never seems to be, there never seems to be someone that, or a party that can come along and say and, and be both those things, you know? It's almost like if you're going to be liberal about social issues, you're also liberal about, about Sinn Féin as well. Um, you see, that's, I, that's I see when, when you... When you describe some someone from someone from the Paisley wing, that is sort of alarm bells for me, because just the, the sort of person Paisley was. I I'll be honest with you, I could I couldn't stand him, I couldn't stand the man. I thought he was a he was absolutely cuckoo, but so I I see that as dangerous and regressive. So how can you rebrand that? Even someone like Poots, who is from the Paisley wing. How can you give him a rebrand to make him more powerful for people? Well, well, I don't know if you can. Um, Paisley, for all his faults politically, had a massive amount of charisma, and he was able to oh, bring people along. Oh with yeah. Him. Whereas I don't know. I, if, I, I, don't I don't know doubt if that. Has that. Yeah, I don't that. I'm, obviously, Paisley was very effective because he wouldn't be where he was without the charisma, oh, yeah. even if. If, if I'm totally against it, there are leaders out there that I'm totally against, but they won't have got to their position without the skills, the political skills and the charisma. Yeah, well, well, that's the thing. It's So, yes, there was the political skills, but that was more, you know, if you look at like sort of old DUP, um, whenever Paisley was the leader, Robinson was more the, he was more the strategist and Paisley was the charisma. So... Like the DUP or Paisley's party, like, and this is one of the big problems the DUP's had since Paisley went, is that they've not because because the party was basically around around that one man, you know. If you look at the evolution of the DUP over time, like this is the first time that the DUP actually had a leadership election, because initially it was Paisley's party, and then because Robinson was the deputy for so long, he was pretty much. You know, he was like crowned new leader after Paisley went. Although, you know, there, there is talk that the, the sort of nudged Paisley out back then because he was, you know, uh, have you have you heard of the Chuckle Brothers? You know who the Chuckle Brothers are? Uh, Martin McGuinness and Ian Paisley. Yeah, so there were people within the DUP who weren't really that happy that um, Paisley was so friendly with Martin McGuinness. So they, mm. you know, the, you know, there, there's talk that Paisley got the elbow because of that. Um and you know, there's still people within like Protestant circles who would see Paisley in Paisley as being a bit of a, a salad. Um, and then you know you had Arlene Foster; she was um, basically carnated uh, as well. Like, uh, and then this is the first time that there's actually been a leadership election within the DUP. And even then, it was all behind closed doors, and there was only um, I think it was thirty eight delegates actually were able to vote. And Edwin puts only one by two votes. So, you know, if one of those votes had gone the other way, that was a split decision. So yeah. the DUP have have their problems in the future. And the DUP has a split as well in its party. Um, you know, that like Ian Paisley Jr. was very unpopular within the party for a while. You know, he was seen as part of part of a different wing of the of the DUP. And there is I suppose they have, they're starting to have the problem now that the Ulster Unionists had of being a broad church, you know, where you did have a more liberal wing to the Ulster Unionists and you had a more hardline wing to the Ulster Unionists. I don't think the Ulster Unionist party, the depth of the party behind the scenes has really let go of that. Like, I think, you know, that if you look, successive Ulster Unionist leaders have tried to be more liberal over time. And that's not really happened. You know, you had like Mike Nesbitt. Um, whenever he came along, he was going to liberalise the party. Didn't really do that. Um, the last guy, um, Steve Aiken, like he had such a, his charisma was so low that I nearly forgot his name there, you know, and he's just out the door. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he was so ineffective that, you know, he's pretty much forgettable. Um, and the new guy in, Doug Beatty, um, seems to be pretty well liked, but you know, 
I'm not 100% sure what he stands for, and I'm not really sure what the Ulster Union stand for anymore either. So It sounds have, like a Starmer and the Labour Party over here. You have, it sounds like the what party? It sounds like here, Starmer and the Labour Party over here, because I'm speaking from Salford. Um, yeah. You know, it, it sounds exactly the same problem that Labour's having. Well, this is, this is what happens whenever parties don't actually have a sense of their own identity and try to pander too much to the voters. And whenever parties try to pander to the voters, who they actually pander to is the media. And the media is different from the voters. So um, th- this, is, this is one of the things that happens. You know, Doug Beatty, I know he's on the radio quite a bit. Uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard him talking about different things. But again, he's someone who you hear on quite a lot. He's got a good media presence, but I'm still not 100% sure what he stands for. Whereas with Puts, at least you know what he stands for. You know, you mm. can agree with it or you, you don't have to agree with it, but you know, you know where he's at with it. Like, I mean, I, you know, it Puts, like, uh, from my background, Puts was always, like, I, I fought an election, again, not personally, but I... Uh, I was in an election battle against Puts. You know, I uh, ran ran an election for a guy who was ran the the media uh, part of the media side for a guy who you know we fought against Puts. So he he wouldn't be my cup of tea, Edwin Puts. But you know, you know what he's about. That's the thing. Does this provide then an opportunity for Sinn Fein, which you very clearly are concerned about? in this piece you know it's something that does concern you can Sinn Féin then um, capitalise on the, well, the the ironic disunity of the unionists it's difficult to say um, the Shinners in that poll that Lucid Talk had, had commissioned um, or that they carried out they have put Sinn Féin up by one percentage point so they're not doing too bad. I think overall, they're maybe slightly down since the last election. But you know, in terms of the momentum, you know, they're they're up by a point. If you look at the mm. unionist vote as a whole, though, you know, if you you, you tally all the unionist parties together, um, they could still beat the Shinners come election time. And also, the percentage points doesn't necessarily equate the seats. Uh, because parties have vote management in different constituencies and know how to use, you know, like over here we we have um, the single transferable vote system. So, you know, you vote down the ballot paper. So parties now, because polling's been going on for so long, they understand each each um, DEA. This is getting really technical now. But basically, they know how to manipulate the votes within certain areas to maximise the amount of candidates that they return with those in those areas. The DUP are very good yeah. at it. The Shinners are also very good at it. Don't get me wrong. The Shinners are good at it too. Um, and this is because the DUP and Sinn Fein have the biggest party machines. You know, because they've got they've got the you know the most candidates, so they're able to pay people to, um, you know, to do these things for them. So, even though now. The polls are saying that the DUP are falling behind, and you know you have the Ulster Unionists and the TUV, and even Lance. You know, I know Lance; they slip by a couple of percentage points as well, but they're still sitting at sixteen percent, which is um, neck and neck with the DUP. You know, you could probably and the Lance party don't really do too well outside of you know metropolitan areas, so their votes, you know, they're they seem to have plateaued in terms of how many seats they can return, but. Uh, the DUP, the UUP, and the TUV voters. It'd be interesting to see if the the the, po- the tallies now relate to seats come next year when there's another assembly election, or if you know unionist voters will say, you know what it is, we need to keep the shinners out, and we're gonna we're gonna stick with the DUP because generally speaking, that's what happens. Even if the DUP slips in the polls, generally speaking. Unionists will vote for the biggest unionist party, so they keep the shinners out. So, what do you think then should unite unionists, not necessarily unionist parties, but unionist voters? Because it's clearly from your piece, it's not Britishness, it's not being part of Britain. Because you say, you know, 
fuck London and fuck Dublin. Uh, Dublin, obviously, not for the unions, but the, <laughs> for the Republicans. Um, yeah. what, do you, what do you think should unite? What policies uh, should unite unionists? And is that more of modern policies or is it more traditional stuff? Well, as you know with me, Dan, I am, an, I am from Ulster. And as far as the British connection goes, whatever. Like, you know, I said I'm not from London. And, you know, the the, the British connection isn't really a Lond- an English or London-based thing. It's more a Scottish thing anyway, you know. And, like, sure, Scotland looks like they're probably going to split off anyway. Um, so, like, you know, the, the whole question of the United Kingdom is now um, being asked, really. You know, if Scotland goes and then, you know, they're talking about northern ireland being subsumed by the republic i don't think that should happen you know i've said this for a long time i think ulster should be independent and um you know unionists do see ulster as an independent entity even if it is as a devolved nation you know even if it's you know british or whatever they still see ulster as being um even you know sort of the way scottish is british but also different from england you know what i mean so that, that yeah, but, but you, whenever you have like Irish nationalism and Irish republicanism, doesn't doesn't necessarily have Ulster as having that own its own distinct identity, which it really does have. I mean, Northern Ireland, as I mentioned before, is a hundred years old. There are very few people who live in Northern Ireland today who would have seen Northern Ireland as being part of a United Ireland. So, even culturally. There's a difference there. It doesn't matter how much RTE you watched growing up or how much Christy Moore or whatever you listened to growing up, you know? Like, Northern <laughs> Ireland itself is its own its own very distinctive part of Ireland, which is very different than the other three provinces in Ireland because of the way it's been over the last 100 years and even going back a long time before that. Sure, you know me, Dan. I've been talking about, you know, I, I've been, I, lo- I love all my mythology and my history and all that stuff. And Ulster's been its own distinctive entity for thousands of years, never mind a hundred years. So, personally speaking, I would like to see a party emerge that is um, very pro-Ulster and very proud of being Ulster. And, you know, doesn't have a problem with the British side of, uh, of things, doesn't have a problem with the Irish side of things, but is Ulster through and through. Whereas... Um, you know, you have the the Irish Republican sides or Irish, and then you know there's that whole EU side of things, and then you know you've got the British side of things. I think what what seems to unite a lot of unionists, and not just from my own perspective about having Ulster as being its own distinctive entity, is a big thing going on now is you know the the border along the Irish Sea, you know the the, the protocol as part of the EU arrangement. And really what that is, is, you know, you can fluff up the language, whatever you like. It's a slow creep towards United Ireland. It really is. And what that is, is then a slow creep towards Northern Ireland being part of the European Union. And people that voted DUP, um, I'm pretty sure there's polling evidence to back this up. People who voted the DUP voted for Brexit. Um, Definitely TUV, 100%. TUV voters definitely voted for Brexit. UUP is probably a wee bit more split. So one of the things that unites a lot of unionists or people from a unionist background, a Protestant background, whatever, is they don't want to see a a border down the Irish Sea. I don't think they really want to see a border along Ireland, really, like, you know. But they definitely don't want to see a border down the Irish Sea and they don't want to be part of the European Union. What I will say, and I know I've brought up this statistic before, Northern Ireland voted to stay in the EU. Um, it was just under 56% that voted to remain. Do you know what? I didn't mention that because I knew, Dan, you were going to bring it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> But that's okay. Um, and that's dead on. You know, 56% to 44% is qu- it's quite an even split, really. Like what? What was the actual referendum? It was like fifty-two forty-eight, wasn't it? 
It was, yeah. Uh, yeah, to, to, to get it right, 51.9% and 48.1%. So um, there you yeah. And it was... So, like, you know, it was, it, was, it was pretty much a 50-50 split anyway. You know, Northern Ireland was marginally more than the rest of the UK. Um, you know, I'll tell you my own perspective, which is I have always seen it as... You get rid of the European Union, who were the bigger, um, the bigger sort of imperial force, and then you've got Westminster, and you get rid of them, and then that's how you create an independent Ulster. It, but you can't, you know, you, you know, this is this is part of the the sort of trajectory that I wanted to go through. This is why I voted for Brexit. It wasn't because I wanted to be part of this glorious old British Empire. You know, get Britain back to its old glory days. That's not why I voted voted Brexit. You know, I. I wanted to see Ulster as being its own independent nation that was free all these ties, that didn't have that could create its own laws and um, get rid of certain laws that are maybe holding back new businesses from starting up and all the rest of it, you know. So that that's where I'm at with things. Um, in terms of the rest of the country, well, a lot of the people who voted, you know, f- who were Remain voters would have likely been um you know nationalist you know like SDLP voters, Sinn Fein voters, Alliance voters, those sorts of um sort of more um well I mean like Sinn Fein and the Sinn Fein and the SDLP, there's not a huge amount of difference between them and the Alliance Party, Green Party, those sorts of parties are all quite sort of um, sort of new age liberal parties as well, if if you if you understand what that means, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry to bring up Brexit again, mate. Sorry to have done that, but here, no, no. I listen, wish- the thing about Brexit is, is that it's central to all this. Like none of this here stuff would have been happening without Brexit. Bre- Brexit's the biggest thing they have happened here for, apart well, apart from the Rona. You know, Brexit's like the biggest thing they have happened here for a long time, like, and it's really shaking things but up. I kind of wish you said about Northern Ireland's um, sort of, I know the percentage points were, were different. So, oh, 50-50, therefore, all they could have voted to, to, to leave. I kind of wish I could have said that for the UK, but that just wouldn't happen. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, it, like the thing is, it was a close vote. It really was a close vote. Um, but does it not really show you what, how, you know, the sort of, how the whole world well, the whole Western world, the whole English-speaking world itself, is sort of teetering on this divide, you know, where you had... Yeah. Like, Brexit happened pretty much the same time as Trump happened. They were within a year of each other, I think. And that vote uh, was June really... 2016 was... June 2016 was uh, Brexit, November 2016 was Trump. Yeah, so, like, they were, they were, like, right next to each other. And the split between Trump and Clinton at that time were was really close. You know, you even look like what four years on, and you had the U.S. election between uh, Trump and Biden. And you know, I know people are saying there was lots of dodgy shit going on along with that election, but that was a very close vote as well. So it it sort of shows how there's a real divide in the Western world at the moment, and also how all across the Western world are the same issues and the same divides, you know? And really, you know, most people are actually, in terms of a lot of the policies, are actually on the same page about things. It's really minute details that are, you well, know, that the people what actually gonna, have differences on. And the, the what what I was going to ask Jeremy is, was... Is that, like, hold, hold on, what, the the crazy was, thing about, about the divide is, is that even though it's like the smallest, the splits, like, People don't really give a shit about like same sex marriages and you know like the the sort of most people are like you know they don't give a shit about these social issues, but the divide is huge. You know the divide between people is huge these days. What 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 I was going to ask you, Jamie, then because I know that this piece in itself was sort of about divide as well. We're, we're talking about divide again. How can you unite? Northern Ireland, and that's not just unionists. But how can you unite that country? Is it possible? Might 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 not be. Yes, 
I, I think it's possible. Um, as I've mentioned in, in other shows, it's the, one of the big problems is is that whenever you had power sharing, you didn't have one side one out over the other side. So what you need is a uniting story for the whole nation to get behind. This is this is part of the fundamentals to actually building a nation itself, you know? This is why a lot of these a lot of Western nations are starting to crumble and split apart because there's no uniting story. You know, this is why the whole Western world is now uh, you know against each other because um, the uniting stories of the past are now, you know, it's like, oh yeah, the whole Western world is based on colonialism and racism and all this here sort of shit. And people now are like, well, yeah, maybe that is what it, what it was based on, but there was also a lot of good that came from, from the Western world and from the world we live in. And there's a lot of stuff that we have now that we wouldn't necessarily have had if we didn't have all these things that happened. So and those sto- those stories are from the nineteenth century and the twentieth century anyway. Not- that's that is true. That is true. But you need to have a strong foundation to be able to build a nation on. A lot of those things did come from before that. But then you also had the likes of First World War and the Second World War, that um, a lot of these nations, you know, that, that then rekindled that spirit again. So um, now that that's been a problem here because. Um, you know, during like the the, the world wars, the the, the Irish, um, you know, the Republic of Ireland, did at times try to undermine the British by supporting the Germans in some in some different parts of the war. Um, you also had a lot of uh, like there was a lot of people. You know, you had like um battalions going from Ulster to fight over in um. You know, at various battles in France and stuff, and very well respected regiments that went out, out to fight there, and people from all over Ireland went to fight for different uh, Ulster regiments that fought for the British. So that's that's another thing that happened. I mean, p- part of the article I was talking about, you know, you had the Loyalist Communities Council, which is basically the paramilitaries form, talking about violence again, and. One of the things that brings people together in a really fucked up way is violence. Because whenever you take the fight to your enemy and whenever there's an existential threat, that is something that that brings people together. Now, I don't, you know, like, you know, it's not something that I want to see because... I grew up at the tail end of the troubles, and you know there there, there was stuff that there was just it was just like it, it wasn't like I didn't have anyone who who was killed that I knew directly as part of the troubles, but I saw it going on on the TV. There was a fellow up the road for me who was shot dead, um, you know, on the same street that I lived in. I didn't know him, but the guy was shot dead and stuff. So you know there was an effect from the troubles, you know, with that. Whenever you have some sort of existential threat like Nazi Germany coming, you know, that's different. You know, whenever I was growing up, my best mate was from, you know, quote unquote, the other side. And I wouldn't want, and you, like the thing, like I've gone out, with, gone out with girls that are like from a different background to me. I've got mates now that are from a different background from me. And I wouldn't want to be that sort of shit kicking off again. Because as far as I'm concerned, everyone from here is from Ulster. And that's the way it is. And if you're dead on, you're dead on. If you're a dickhead, you're a dickhead, you know. But humans have this inbuilt tribalism. And it exists. And there's no getting away from it. It's just about knowing who your enemy is. Yeah, it's the fact is, you're not condoning the violences. You you need something as powerful as it to unite people as the same impact but not attack people that's it i'll I'll tell you right so again we're getting in real fucked up territory here but like this is the real shit like this is the thing don like Mm. this is the sort of shit that people don't want to talk about but this is the realities of being human so i was listening to a guy today um he he does a podcast maneco 64 you call him so you and I uh, just talked there not too long ago on, on your own 
show we did a, a segment on your own show about currency and stuff like that there's a guy yeah. uh, alternative economist who I uh, would be quite into he's a guy called Maneco 64 and he was talking about the Carnegie Institute now, I'm sure have you heard of the Carnegie Institute have you? I have yes yes so like every town and city across you know the UK like the UK I think America probably as well has a Carnegie Hall everywhere's got a Carnegie Hall um, so the Carnegie Institute, they commissioned a report, I think it was 1909, before World War One, And the report was, what affects, what is the biggest thing that affects human civilization? If, if something happened, what would have the biggest effect on human civilization? And they came back and it was war. And then the Carnegie Institute was a, did another uh, report that saying, okay, right, so how do we then use war to our advantage? And this is the sort of thing that goes on. You know, the, the people don't like to talk about this, but there are people who think like this. There are people who think, how can we further our own goals? Right, okay, so war is a way to further our own goals. Okay, right, so how do we, how do we use war to further our own goals? This is the way some people out there think. Now, there is, you know, th this is going to be a, a really shit comparison. And I'm sorry if it if it's a bit shit comparison, but did you ever watch Tomorrow Never Dies, James Bond? I was hoping you were going to bring it back to some sort of fiction. I was hoping you were going to bring it back to something like that. I know Tomorrow Never Dies, and that with the 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 media the media mogul on the boat. Yes. Yeah. 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 And. and Yep. And it's him who's trying to provoke a war to um, profiteer from war. But in, in the, his one, it's profiteering from war for the media. Exactly. But this is, you know, this isn't anything new. Like, um, I'm not going to mention any names because I don't, don't want to be, you know, uh, libeling or slandering or anything like that there. But I, you know, as far as I'm aware, there are media moguls out there now who have shares in um uh you know military companies as well or companies that develop weaponry and stuff so you know surely there's a conflict of interest there you know and uh it's even it's even you know going back to some of the stuff we were talking about on on our last segment and by the way folks if you're listening um the references i'm making here are on dan's show uh the coalition of chaos dan you can have a chance to to tell people when they can listen to that um, but yeah some of the stuff we were talking about earlier how was how Elon Musk uh, how he, he, he's been doing his pump and dump <laughs> you know they inflate the price of cryptocurrencies and he does that through media manipulation albeit through Twitter and social media manipulation but it's still a way for him to earn money by basically going on and sending a tweet about like the price of Bitcoin or the price of Dogecoin and then people get in on it, and then you know the price of it skyrockets. There's no difference between that and between someone who owns a big media company saying to people, "Oh fuck, we need to go to war here," and then the price of you know bullets goes through the roof, and then that person makes a load of money on bullets. You know what? What? There's no difference there. Yeah, I I I, I struggle to disagree with you on that one. Um. A question I've never asked you, um, not on these podcasts, not in our own interviews, not in our friendship. I've not asked you this yet. You are evidently passionate and knowledgeable about the politics and these policies and your point of view. Why don't you stand? Why, why don't you give it a go? Why don't you stand as someone to elect on this platform? Well done. Uh... I think you can probably sense that I've maybe had a bit more wine than I normally would drink on our normal <laughs> conversations. And uh, this isn't a question that I would, would be comfortable in being asked, but I'll answer it anyway. Um, there's rules. To, there are rules about being um, standing for election. I live a fairly I mean it's not the craziest of lifestyles but it's not the most uh, sort of conventional of lifestyles should we say 
and I know what my place is and I don't think it's the stand for elections. You know, there are other people out there that have a, a bit of a sort of cleaner pers- persona and a wee bit, um, you know, they're, you know, they're maybe not as, um, what's the word? Uh, eccentric as I would be, you know what I mean? So even though I have my opinions and stuff, you know, and people might like my opinions and all, at the same time, you, you do have to have a certain persona to be elected. And I don't think that I have that persona. I've said this in other podcasts before, though, that if there was someone who was on board my ideas, I would help them out if we were on the same page about things. But, and you know, I've got, uh, you know, I've had experience in the past about, you know, at the foundations of political parties and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, it's, I don't have the temper either. Like, I really don't. Like, do you know what it's like trying to run a political party like oh i i i wouldn't do it myself look jimmy if you if you want to cut that bit out i fully understand and appreciate sometimes there might be a question where i've got a prob a bit too much no 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 not at all uh, um well here listen you you were going to stand for election yourself like no, you know what God, i mean God, so no, mate. here listen i was there down for mp in Salford, 20, 20, 30, 2012, 2013. Which year was it? Oh, it would have been a uh, 2015 election, but um, planning for 2013. Number exactly. one, I didn't have the money. Didn't have the money, didn't have the money. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm very much like you, Jamie, in the sense that I enjoy being a dissenting voice. I enjoy commentating and providing an opinion but I'm not a palatable candidate for it. Um, I, I, Billy Connolly said it. If, if you ever get the urge to be a politician, it means that you shouldn't be one. <laughs> and and I'm like that. I have maybe once upon a time I would have ran, and once upon a time I might have ran seriously or in a joking way. But but nowadays, quite friendly, I, I couldn't be honest. You know. Yeah. And do, do you know what I think? The thing is, is that there's you know people like us who commentate on these things, you know. What you know, there is a, a certain side of us that sort of thinks, "Fuck, I could do that. I, 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 I know, I know, I could do that. I know what it takes, you know." And uh, there is a certain part of us that that does it flashes across the mind, but there's also a part of us that says, "You know what? It's." there's another person that's more suited for that and that's not really my sort of thing. You know, this is what I'm going to do and this is where I'm better placed and this is where I can provide value. And, you know, and the thing is, is like, like, I I would consider myself like a swing voter, you know, like, uh, in terms of Northern Ireland, uh, you know, I've I've voted for a lot of different parties across Northern Ireland. Like, um, especially because Northern Ireland has the single transferable vote, means you can vote down the ballot paper. So I wouldn't say I've voted for them all, and I'm not going to say who I have and haven't voted for, but, you know, well, that's there, your I've business, never been know. tied to... What's up? Oh, yeah, exactly. But I've never been tied to one party in particular. So... But but also part of that is is because there's not been a party that's come along that I have wanted to get behind, you know? And not to smoke, uh, blow smoke up either of our arses here, but we do play an important part being these different voices, these opposing voices and commentating on stuff. And hopefully, you know, involving people in the discussion, involving people in the debate. And yeah, I think we've got a, a role to play, but we're not going to get our neckties on and our pristine suits and going to be, instead of pointing our fingers, it's pointing with a thumb. I just don't see that being us. Well, I mean, speak for yourself, but I look good in a suit, like, like you know, <laughs> you know. Look- if there's an excuse to stick it on, no bother. Um, but that excuse wouldn't be to stand for election anyway. That's it. That's it. You can look okay. sharp, mate. You can look sharp. I, I like my suits as well, but I'm not going to be getting on the bland crap that, that these politicians wear and give these sound bites and 
dull, dull speeches. I think we're a bit more entertaining than that. And I well, hope certainly. the listeners have found this really entertaining as well. Well, hopefully, hopefully, you know. Um, I'll tell you a story before we go here, right? I'll tell you a story and then we'll get on. So uh, I did, you know, I, I've said to you before, uh, you know, and you know yourself, Don, that I, I work uh, for a politician. I've never been a member of a political party. It's never happened. Mm. But I have worked for uh, people in the past that have been involved in politics. Um, but long before that, whenever I was in secondary school, uh I stood for election for form captain, and uh, yeah, so I stood against. I stood stood for form captain, which was pretty much a non-response. You know, there's basically no responsibility involved in the job, or if there was, I didn't take it up. But anyway, uh, I ran my own campaign, and there was there was a couple of other people ran against me, and uh, everyone got up and said their part. First candidate got up, said his part. Second candidate got up. She said her part explained why she'd be better off as uh, as form captain as the others. And I stood up and I said, "Right, tell you what it is, folks. You vote for me. I'll buy everyone in the class a Mars bar. Mars bars in the vending machine were fifty p a piece. There was over twenty people in the in the form class. So I says, right, I'll buy you all a Mars bar. And so everyone queues up. Bang. Jimmy wins by a landslide." So uh, <laughs> next day, uh, everyone's uh, everyone's looking for the Mars bar. So uh, and of course, I handed out the Mars bars, but little did they know that I did not go to the vending machines for the Mars bars. I went round to Littles and got multi packs of Mars bars for you know like <laughs> a, a quarter of the price and handed them out. And people still got the Mars bar. It might not have been as big a Mars bar as they were expecting, but they still got their Mars bars. So, uh, in a nutshell, that's pretty much how politics works. Like, you know, you, you go out and you promise the world and uh, you give people what they're promised, but it might not be exactly how they expected it to come around. But uh, aye, I, and I, I, think, I thought I'd leave you that story. I think that's the greatest analogy of politics I've ever heard. And this is why I'm too honest to do it these days, you know. But uh, <laughs> listen, Dan, it's, it's been great. Uh, chatting to you again it's been a really interesting conversation today's been the first one that actually brings us up to date compared to the other the other shows um, if you want to read my articles and my work as I mentioned before the website is subversiontherapy.com uh, I do a week or a monthly segment on Dan's show this week we're talking about cryptocurrencies Dan do you want to tell the listeners uh, what the, where to listen to, to the show do your own show so we have a monthly dose of news, views and blues on the Coalition of Chaos, the Coalition of Chaos on reformradio.co.uk. On the website itself, you can search for um, previous shows with Jamie. We've, we've got quite a collection now, um, but we go out every month on a Monday at two o'clock, but you'll be able to catch you up on reformradio.co.uk. Look forward to hearing it as, as always. And thanks very much, folks, for listening. All the best. Until next time. Cheerio.